0: Welcome to Analyzing Finance with Nick. In today's video, I'm going to be talking about the economic future of Saudi Arabia. Is it really just a pure oil state or will their diversification efforts succeed? I will discuss that in the rest of this video. The first thing to know about Saudi Arabia, as most of my viewers probably do know, is that it is heavily dependent on crude oil. Uh, If you look at its GDP, 45% of GDP in Saudi Arabia is due to oil production, and it is responsible for 75% of government revenues. Taxation for individual citizens is next to nothing, and the native Saudi Arabs' lifestyles are heavily subsidized by the state. Uh, I'll go into how that is the case later, but it's generally they are supplied with relatively easy government jobs at high pay and don't have to pay any taxes and live a very comfortable life. And the reason why they do get this kind of deal is because the whole social contract of Saudi Arabia is highly dependent on oil-funded living standards in exchange for sacrificing political rights. Uh, just as a disclaimer, I have been a critic of the United States foreign policy towards Saudi Arabia and the way that the Saudi government runs its country and participates on the international stage. I've This has been out there in several podcasts that I used to do before I did this channel. So keep that in mind when I get into this, but I'm going to be as objective as I can here. And the thing is that the reason why a lot of these autocratic regimes still work in the places that they do is that they've revised the social contract to offer the citizens something to not worry about having political rights or representation. In the case of Saudi Arabia, it's an absolute monarchy ruled by the Saud family. And they basically can do what they want, and the people really have no right to object. But the people are okay with this is because oil revenues is enough to finance the country to live a much higher living standard than it would if the country had to rely on its own domestic production. And as long as the oil money keeps flowing, everybody remains fat and happy. And that used to just be a metaphor, but if you look at the world obesity rate statistics, the Gulf states have caught up to the US and Mexico as some of the most overweight countries in the world. Uh, Diversification of the economy beyond energy really has been a challenge. Uh, The one part that actually has seemed to work for them is islamic and religious tourism due to the hajj uh, in islam one of the five pillars of islam is the hajj which is a pilgrimage to mecca mecca is the city where muhammad was born and started uh, practicing islam and really kind of found creating the foundation of the faith and the sacred um I think area there, I don't really. it's not really a temple or it's really a shrine, be the better word But the black box known as the Kaaba is in the heart of Mecca and is the site that every Muslim person should visit, if they have the means to financially do it, or in the physical health ability to do it once in their life. And also when Muslims pray, they pray pointing towards whatever direction of the Kaaba is. For those who live in the West, that is East, Southeast generally, but that could be a different direction depending on whatever part of the world you are in. And as the wealth of Islamic countries overall has grown to to improved economic development within those countries and Islamic migrants who have moved to the West, whose incomes have risen, uh, you have seen a much bigger draw in and a ride to Mecca and thus arise in tourism. Like the example, the picture here is the clock tower hotel, which right overlooks the Kaaba and it attracts, as you can see how the size of this building, they do attract a serious audience that comes from around the Islamic world. Another fun fact is that if you were non-Muslim, you are not allowed in this town. In fact, they have highways that I'll attach a picture to. They have like an exit that, if for non-muslims to get out because they're not allowed to go to the holy cities. Uh, government as well needs high oil prices. This is picture is the Fred's data of the break even oil price for Saudi Arabia. Uh as of 2022 it's around $70 a barrel. As I am talking right now oil is trading over at $100 a barrel. So the Saudi government is in the black, but they are catching up for several years from basically 2016 to 2021, essentially, when oil prices were way under $70 a barrel, like the real drop started at the end of 2014. And back then the break even for Saudi government due to how bloated a lot of their social programs was, was well over $100 a barrel come off since due to some reforms within the Saudi government but it's still fairly high and the historical inflation adjusted price for oil longer term is in the 50s so this is this is going to be a problem if oil prices fail to stay high and as the Saudi government's population ages and Um, grows in size, which it's doing both of those, their liabilities and their break-even oil price is likely to go up right at the time when oil prices are going to trend lower. Uh, For more of my thoughts on oil prices structurally long-term, I recommend watching my critique of of Gail Tveberg's Our Finite World, which I will put in the description and also as the end screen video if you want to keep watching about this topic. But They basically need oil prices to stay high to finance their government spending, which the high government spending is really due to the need to fulfill the social contract that I mentioned previously in this video. So let's compare Saudi Arabia to some of the historically high oil-producing regions in the country. Pennsylvania, actually, is the state where um, the first... US production of oil took place in the early 19th century. Um, Western Pennsylvania was a big oil country for the 19th century. And even to this day, especially thanks to fracking, uh, oil production is still a sizable part of Pennsylvania's economy. And Texas, on the other hand, is the modern oil powerhouse of the United States. And Houston, All the skyscrapers there are built on oil, and most of the major American oil multinationals are headquartered in the greater Houston area, including the major oil services companies. And so we're going to compare these two um, historically energy-driven states with probably the most energy-driven country in the world in Saudi Arabia in terms of economic performance. Population in Saudi Arabia is 35 million and growing uh, Pennsylvania is 10.3 million Texas is 29.1 million they have slightly more people than Saudi Arabia combined and land-wise you see in the, the map on the right uh, Pennsylvania and Saudi Arabia um, and Texas combined are about um, they're about the size of maybe two half of Saudi Arabia but if you exclude that empty quarter which is this bottom right area of saudi arabia this is just basically you see, there's no roads here this is just purely just empty desert there's nothing no people here like in the actual inhabited areas pennsylvania and south and texas are probably close to about 80 percent of um saudi arabia's land size so they're pretty close um in terms of gdp Saudi Arabia's GDP in hard dollar terms is $864 billion. It's $1.8 trillion if you use PPP. But with a lot of these emerging frontier market type countries, it really depends on what you consider the baseline because PPP is usually to adjust to a US cost of living. But places like Pittsburgh or um, Texas, like rural Texas or even Dow- metro Dallas, are not very expensive, especially relative to the rest of America. So, do I really think that Saudi Arabia is less than half the cost of living of Pennsylvania and Texas for the same standard of living? Probably not. If I have listeners who've spent extensive amount of time living in Saudi Arabia or Saudi themselves and have a comment on this, I'd love to hear your feedback because I don't really know from any experience. I've lived in Pennsylvania, I've spent some time in Texas, but I've never actually been to Saudi Arabia. Uh, public spending. Uh, public spending is actually pretty similar along all three. Uh, public spending in Saudi Arabia is 29% of GDP. In Pennsylvania, it's 28.8. And that counts Pennsylvania's share of the of federal spending. And same with Texas, it counts the Texas share of federal spending is 22.2% of GDP. Um, unemployment is 6.6% in Saudi. in Pennsylvania and 3.5% in Texas. And then the most interesting thing here is energy exposure. Uh, Half of Saudi's GDP is energy, 24% is just oil rents alone. Um, And I don't know if that 50% is counting a lot of ancillary jobs and other things that are financed by oil money. It may be even much higher than that, especially since 75% of their government budget is funded by oil. Pennsylvania is 10% of GDP is energy, and that's research recently due to fracking. In Texas, it's 35% of GDP. In Texas, especially Houston's economy, has been heavily correlated to oil, but it's gotten more diversified in recent years due to a favorable uh, cost of living and tax climate that has encouraged businesses and individuals to move there in recent years. Saudi cultural barriers diversification. Uh, Saudi Arabia wants to diversify beyond oil and outside of the religion tourism example I mentioned they've had a hard time doing that this has been a goal of theirs since the 1970s and as I've seen with the statistics I've showed you that it hasn't really worked and I have a few theories on why this may be the case one innovation is difficult to foster in a politically and socially restrictive society if you live in a place where you don't have civil liberties that are taken for granted in countries such as the United States. uh, It makes the risk-taking needed to develop technological innovation and entrepreneurship a lot less um, worthwhile. One, because there's greater social risk and personal risk and legal risk, and the profits may not be as high either. Uh, Also due to their views on uh, gender, Uh, you are limiting some of the human capital potential of half of your population. Uh, You don't need to be a hyper woke San Francisco style society to compete in the modern world. In fact, that might even be much of a detriment the other way. But I don't think it's a stretch to say that you need to have, I would say, the level of social freedom that, say, the Europe and the United States had in the 1920s to be a competitive place and, the 1920s was not nearly as socially liberal as it was today or even 50 years ago, but Saudi Arabia, their current approach to this is still, their certain way their Wahhabists run their society would even be of, can, considered repressive in the 1920s in the United States. Forget about the 2020s. Uh, this lack of civil liberties problem scares expats from wanting to live there and foreigners, and thus it requires a much higher pay to attract the talent. And that's even factoring the fact that there's no income tax in Saudi Arabia. Like I've known people who've worked there on expatriate projects. Uh, a lot of them actually live in Dubai and just fly into Saudi Arabia during the week. or others actually would live there, particularly those involved with petroleum engineering. And yeah, companies have to pay Um, not only higher salaries, but often cover the living costs and give a generous expat lifestyle to convince a Western talent to want to move there. Um, A lot of lower-level skilled labor from other Asian countries that are poorer than Saudi Arabia comes just because of lack of economic opportunity in their home countries, but it still has to pay considerably more than than staying at home. Uh, Saudi also has a approach to work ethic that is concerning that I've even read in their local editorials that isn't a problem. Similar idea with Greece and Portugal where there's a lot of shadow government jobs or ones that you come into work at nine, you kind of chill out, go to do whatever, a little bit of, of actual minimal productive effort, go to lunch at noon and not come back. Uh, that's kind of a dynamic there and I'm not really just saying that because you have a problem with, I think the math says it too. You have 79% of the private work sector being foreigners and just 33% of the population overall works in the private sector. So that is kind of just showing the the social contract and the subsidy issue. Um, the recent crown prince Mohammed bin Salman has been trying to open things up. Uh, They've built theme parks out there. they've tried they've, they've allowed allow women to drive. They've tried to loosen up and allow more I guess fun outlets for socialization for younger people. but it still has a long way to go, and there's a lot of a hobby interest in the country that will make future opening up of the country socially uh, a possibility. I think maybe as generations transition over time this could be the solution um, to help kind of stimulate some sort of development of other industries. But it's, again, the cultural barriers are really I think what prevents Saudi Arabia from growing and the fact that and diversifying and the fact that they have so much oil, and the oil money is as large as it is and can subsidize their society as totally as it does means that they have le- very little economic pressure needed to diversify and improve. Whereas countries who aren't as blessed with natural resources have a lot more pressure to reform themselves. Like the most notable example of history, would be like Singapore and Lee Kuan Yew in the modern era, and then the Meiji Restoration in Japan, neither of those countries had any real natural resource advantage. And so they had to rapidly modernize and adjust to have a, real, a viable place in the economy. And they've been wildly successful as a result. One of the things that Mohammed bin Salman, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, wants to do is build a futuristic tech hub city called Neom. It would be the Red Sea and it would be a trinational city that would include parts of Jordan, uh, Saudi Arabia. And Egypt, uh, it would be a place that would be built on electric transportation networks and usually mostly EVs and very modernistic, environmentally friendly construction of skyscrapers and city infrastructure and become the Silicon Valley of the Middle East. Uh, I think this is a risk of if it actually gets off the ground, becoming a – a royal field of dreams for the Saudi government if they don't if they build this city and do not have the social reforms whether in the entire country or maybe make this a free zone like kind of how Hong Kong and Macau were kind of like one country two systems and were special economic zones well maybe Neom will need to be a Special social freedom zone because you're again. You if you want to have innovation, you need more social freedom for people to feel comfortable taking risk and to attract foreigners, professionals, and like the example is you don't have to go again fully westernized. They like, or fully adopt what people perceive to be immoral social liberalism. Like Singapore is an example of that. Singapore is not what you would say is a paragon of social freedom and political freedom. Uh, but it has enough minimum baseline of social freedom and flexibility uh, that even with a otherwise stricting paternalistic government, people can do enough that they want on their own and not have their life overly micromanaged that they are willing to put up with the paternalistic government in exchange for the economic opportunities. Again, if Saudi Arabia can get its level of social freedom maybe say to early 20th century standards in the West, that could do a lot to maybe help at least give this NEOM and some of their diversification answers a chance of working. So what can we really learn from this situation. Well I mean once the oil money is tempting. And natural resources can be a blessing and a curse. I think with oil prices as high as they are. Saudi Arabia will continue to do well. As I mentioned the break even is $70 a barrel. And oil is trading over 100 And due to shortages triggered by environmentalist policies. In many parts of the world. And uh, on you know, top of that just production backlogs due to COVID and geopolitical concerns, taking Russia out of the oil market, you could have an extended period of oil prices being higher than their historical average, kind of like 2010 to 2014, where you had four years of oil averaging over $100 a barrel before the bottom fell out. Uh, once we do hit that price, that is the demand destruction point. Individuals around the world will adapt and oil will drop down. And if OPEC were smart, they would manage to keep oil high enough that they can fill their social contract obligations, but not high enough that – not too high so that people uh, change their habits away from oil. And then with renewables and cheap natural gas and electrification of the automotive fleet, the longer-term run for oil – is a concerning one Um, it's not going to happen overnight it's not going to happen in five years but by the end of the century you could see a world that no longer runs on oil and a lot sooner than that possibly too given the pace of innovation going on in the energy industry as a whole and so saudi arabia will be in deep trouble unless they either do one of two things one they figure out how to diversify their country which based on their history and the government in that country who cares about social hierarchical control seems very unlikely to happen. Or there's the second option is that they maximize the amount of profit that they can generate from oil now and just sell as much oil as they can at relatively high prices and then just build a war chest and invest it well enough that they can counter the demographic aging surge that's going to increase their government social liabilities and live off of just their returns. It'd kind of be like a rich family who has a family office that has good enough management that just the compound returns on their existing net worth will be able to keep the family alive permanently and for generations to come since governments don't have to pay estate taxes when generations transfer this could be the case that's so you either got a bet on saudi being willing to reform or the people who run saudi's uh, sovereign wealth funds being excellent fund managers i can't really handicap the odds of either one of those being the case but it will be interesting to see how Saudi Arabia shapes up in the future. Thank you for watching.